Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? In this episode, I get the opportunity to chat with Deborah Sparrow. She is an LDA as recent as 2019, a late discovery adoptee, so it's still relatively fresh. Deborah shares how she is navigating this newfound information by joining the Adoption Cleveland Network. We are a part of the Adoptee Sisterhood, which meets monthly via Zoom. Together with three other adoptees, we discuss how adoption has impacted our lives and thoroughly enjoy the company of others who get us. Deborah is often the quieter one in our group, but when she opens up, it's with profound discoveries based on her experience of not knowing her true identity for over six decades. Deborah describes how connecting with Cynthia, who you may have heard from in episode seven, as the first LDA she met since learning that she was adopted. And it has been a treasure in helping her understand that she is not alone. I always look forward to hearing from her as she continues to grow in an understanding that this road to healing is a lifelong journey. Allow me to introduce you to a person I find to be positive, wholehearted, and most willing to learn from others, Deborah Sparrow. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing real good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Well, that's good. I, I was thinking when we first met, at first I thought it was through the Adoption Network Cleveland, and I, I think that's where we met, through Zoom? Yes. Okay. Because mm-hmm. then we mm-hmm. would go on to form the Adoptee Sisterhood group that meets once a month. It's been a pleasure to get to know you. Why don't we start with you telling a little bit about your story? All right. Well, um, first of all, I want to thank you also for inviting me to be on your podcast. But my name is Deborah Sparrow, and I am a LDA, which means a late discovery adoptee. I found out I was adopted at age 66 after doing a DNA test. Mm. I have known that I am an adoptee and have been adopted for now two years and four months. So that's kind of fresh. Yes, yes. It's still very fresh. And I remember the day that I was told. Mm. I was born in Mississippi, and I was raised in Columbus, Ohio, uh, by two beautiful people and my parents. My dad was tall, dark, and handsome, (laughs) and my mother was 
average height, but beautiful, had very distinct features. And I always just, I just loved them and I loved their beauty and their personalities. They were both just a hoot, would make you laugh, and just always something was going on with them. Mm-hmm. I was raised in Columbus, Ohio. My great-grandparents on my mother's side lived in the house with us also. We lived in this two-story home in a thriving African-American community. And our house was like the center where everyone came and and just fellowship, had dinner, sit on our front porch. Later in life, when I was 16 years old, my parents adopted my sister. I was just about out the house when she came into the home. Um, she had lived in foster care, and then she, they adopted her later. So you were an only child before she arrived? Yes, I was the only child before she arrived. I always wanted to know about my mother's family and her background. We didn't know a lot. Her mother died a few months after she was born, and she had a brother that died a few months after that also from like scarlet fever. So I wanted to know a little bit more about my mother's father, who she didn't really have a relationship with, but she knew uh, he was her father. They were from the West Virginia, North Carolina areas. So I started doing genealogy. And then later on, like in 2018, one of my sons said, I'm going to do a DNA test because let's see where I came from in Africa. And so he got his DNA results back. And I said, you know what? I think later on I'm going to do a test also. So December 2018, those beautiful ads came on for Ancestry and 23andMe. Get to know your family and find out where you're from and your history. So I decided I'm going to do the DNA. So I went on, ordered my kit, submitted it, waited, and it looked like it took forever for me to get my DNA results. Now, your son had already done a test, right? Yes. He he had gotten his results? And had gotten his results. Okay. Yes. And probably if my son only was looking at where he was from in Africa, he didn't look at the relationships and how you're connected through DNA, like your family. Right. He wasn't concerned about that. (laughs) Right. He didn't look at that part. And probably if he had done that, he would have seen that there was somebody up on his list that was a cousin. And so anyhow, January 1, 2019, I'm home alone. And I said, let me check and go through my emails and see if my DNA results were in. Well, I had missed the email where it said your results are in. But then there was another email from someone on Ancestry. And I'm like, well, who is this person? So they go, hi, I see that our results say that we are first cousins. Hmm. And I'm like, I hadn't heard of the name. And then she begins to tell me who her parents were her grandparents, and her great-grandparents. And she says, they're from Mississippi, and we live in a suburb in New Orleans. 
And I was like, okay, this is kind of a coincidence because I was born in Mississippi and that same suburb in New Orleans, I had an aunt there. So I'm like, hmm, this is awful close. And I've been to that area in New Orleans. It's a small area. Pretty much everyone knows everyone. And I even had some other cousins and even a great aunt that lived there. So I'm like, okay, well, my daddy's from a family of 11. This could be one of their children. But I thought I knew everybody. So I'm like really confused. But then I'm like, this is kind of puzzling. So I decide to contact my aunt who lived in New Orleans, who we talked four and five times a week. And I I text her. And I said, Auntie, someone contacted me and they gave me their names and their their parents and everything. Do you know these people? And said that we might be related. So did she know that you had taken the DNA test? No, she did not know. She did not know. Mm -hmm. And I didn't tell anybody except uh, my immediate family. So I contact her. And she doesn't text me back, which was kind of unusual because she would always text me back. So the next day, you know, I go to work. She texts me at work and says, hey, when you get a moment, can you call me? I need to talk with you. So I told her, I said, I'm at work. I'll wait till I get off work. I come home, pull in the driveway. I call her and she says, I want you to know that I love you but I have something I need to tell you. Mm. And I don't know the best way, so I'm just going to say it. Those are your people who contacted you. And I'm like, your people, well, your people, my people are your people. Right, right. (laughs) So, Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right, like, what are you talking about? We're related, so how can they be my people? (laughs) And not be yours, yeah. (laughs) And not be yours. (laughs) Oh, wow. And and, And see, the thing I'm thinking now, you've been grown a long time. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so she said, your mother... And father adopted you. Mm. And they were not your birth parents. I was like, what are you talking about? It felt like someone had taken my head and just shook it and scrambled everything that was in my head. Mm -hmm. And I began to cry. She cried. And she said, please know that we all loved you. Your parents loved you. And she tried to talk me through it. She was a social worker, so she knew how to do it. But I think, you know, of course, with this being a family member, that was hard for her to do. And plus, we were so close. I mean, I go down there and visit with her, stay with her. You know, it was just devastating. I I became angry. I cried. I was hurt. I was mad. I was disappointed. I would. I felt betrayed. Mm-hmm. And then I started to question, like, really, who am I? Mm. Who am I? I've lived this lie. These people have let me live this lie all this time. 
And no one felt that I needed to be told who I am. That's a right that everybody has. So then um, we kind of ended the conversation and I'm here alone trying to figure out what just happened to me. Later that day, my husband came home and then I had to tell him later I had to end up telling my sons who just admired their granddad. All of this is running through my head. And then I start thinking back, did I miss something? Did they tell me something and I missed it? But I realized, no, they didn't. They didn't tell me anything. They even told my sister that she was adopted and everybody knew, but I was a secret. So I found so out your sister that was adopted when you were a teenager, she knew she was adopted. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it felt like then I had the burden of telling everybody and and then I didn't even know how my sister was going to take it as an adoptee also. And when I told her she was just shocked and just like no because the funniest thing was all my life everybody was like you look just like your dad it was that's all I heard mm-hmm. all my life did you think that did you think you look like your dad yes I did mm-hmm. and I think the reason was one of my great uncles was possibly my father and they looked exactly alike and they were very close in age. Mm. So that was the family secret behind it was they didn't want people to know because of that. And so that's why I was kind of brought to Ohio because my mother had other children. I was her fifth, fifth out of six children. Um, she also had uh, one of the other sons was given up. I had two brothers and three sisters. Four of them were deceased, and one is still living. She's about 20 months younger than I am. Um, they all knew each other, even though um, some of them were even raised with different people. And one of the brothers, like I said, was adopted, but they didn't know me. Now, that made me feel bad, too, because of, like, everybody, uh, they knew each other, but they didn't know me. So why was I such the secret of the family? Mm-hmm. The cousin that contacted me through Ancestry DNA, I emailed her and said, hey, I have a name for you that possibly is my mother. So she was like, Give me about five days. I'm going to talk to family. Here's my number. Call me on Saturday. So I know all this is kind of unfolding rapidly, I'm guessing. So how did you find out your birth mother's identity? My aunt, who told me that I was adopted, she said, I think her name is, Mm -hmm. starts with a M. She was only... 13 when I was born. Okay. So 
she remembered it, but some things were still fuzzy to her. Mm-hmm. So she knew all the family, come to find out that both of the families were very, very good friends. So your adoptive they, family and your birth family were good friends. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, got it. And they had kids kind of the same ages. The the adopted grandmother and uh, my birth grandmother were best of friends, and and they were like kind of like the the church sisters. So they were pretty connected. The families were. My cousin. She goes on and takes this information back because she says, I know all of my cousins. We have about 50-some first cousins, but she said, I know everybody and all the information. So she was pretty shocked. But she said, I know the aunt. And she said, let me check with people. So my cousin that knew uh, everybody in the family and made the connection with me went back and talked to her family. Her mother was my mother's sister, Mm. but her mother had dementia, so she couldn't really get any information from her. She started questioning other family members, and her 90-year-old father says, yes, I know Deborah. I Mm. know who she is. Yes, that's your Auntie M's daughter Mm. that was raised in Ohio. I know when she was born and remember when she was born and when they came and got her. And he's 90. 90. He had clear memory Mm. and began to tell her about me. And she was like in shock. And then she talked to some older cousins that were around my aunt's age um, in New Orleans that I knew. They were like 12 and 13 also when I uh, was born and when my family came to get me. And they talked about, yes, we knew about her. All the older cousins knew, but everybody kept it a secret but we all knew when she was born we all knew that she was taken to Ohio and the thing was my family my adopted family we were very close with family members and everything but I do remember that a lot of times they didn't take me like to Mississippi or New Orleans I went one time when I was a kid when my grandfather adopted grandfather died. It was amazing because then everybody I heard had come to the funeral because they were close also, but they came because they wanted to see me. My mother didn't come and they said that she was very just beside herself because she wanted to come, but they also didn't want to disrupt my life. So everybody went back and told her what I looked like and how I was and mm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it shook my world. And it's kind of like, I know I'll never be the same. I'm the same Deborah, but I'm not the same Deborah. Mm. I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking 
right now I'm thinking of the language you've had to, in just this short period of time of two years, had to navigate. You know, like now when you say, now you're, you have to specify adoptive and birth and like the language itself is a lot to manage. Yes, it is. You know, when I'm talking to people, you'll go like, well, which which set of parents right. is this you're talking about? Right. And I'm like, oh, no, my, and then sometimes I'll go my real family, and but mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, or, mm-hmm. and, and it's, or my permanent family or, you know, so, uh, and it's confusing for me sometimes, you know, even when I'm talking. So, you know, I had to learn that. And then, you know, another thing was, I couldn't get my birth certificate because original birth certificate, because Mississippi is a closed state. That was hard. I tried to navigate and go through that. and That didn't work. And then just trying to piece things together because, you know, people are deceased. And then the other people that are alive, they can only, you know, remember bits and pieces because they were very young. Right. And uh, and this has been, you know, 68 years ago. My medical records had to go in and, you know, I was having extra testing on for my breasts and breast cancer and then come to find out that's not what was in my family history. So, you know, now that's had to change and just trying to get my family history, health history and uh, learn people. I really will say my family, they have been great. They have, I mean, they text me all the time and call me. Your biological family. Yes, Mm -hmm. they have been, they have really been very uh, supportive. My adoptive family, I haven't told everybody that I found out that I was adopted. I really uh, still have struggled with that with my cousins because now mostly all my aunts and uncles are deceased, my dad's family, except the one aunt that lives in New Orleans. And so some of them, uh, my aunts and things passed. And I couldn't tell them because they were kind of feeble when things were going on with them. And I didn't feel was the appropriate time uh, to tell them. Mm-hmm. But how did I, your children feel about it? Learning they were adopted, they they were just in shock. I think you know because people thought I really looked like my father. Now, when we looked at my mother, I could say, "Hmm, I didn't really look like her," you know. But when I looked at my father, I could feel that I did or see that I did look like him. And so it was just kind of shocking. And I think they were just shocked that no one would tell me information like that. And of course, that even changed their background Mm -hmm. and their life. And now they have all these people they have to meet if they want to and everything. And people want to meet them and everything. And and even one of my boys felt like he looked like my dad. Well, now that's possibly, that's not true. (laughs) So, you know, the lies continue down through the generations. I think it, it, it hurt them, but I think they were more concerned about how I was. I mean, they called and came by and they text and they were worried 
because really when you go through something like that, your body is is just like, you know, my chest hurt, my body hurt, my head hurt. I'm like, okay, I've, I've got to deal with this and not let myself get sick because it was that stressful and that overwhelming for me. But I'm telling you, it wasn't an easy road. Yeah, I know when you told me your connection to the Adoption Network Cleveland, I found it so fascinating that you were connected. That was prior to even knowing you were adopted. Yes, I was connected through them, through work. Mm -hmm. And I heard about Tracy Anders. I heard about Betsy Norris. I mean, uh, you know, everybody in the adoption world knew about Betsy. Mm -hmm. And so it was amazing. Then I had to call them and use them, but they were so supportive because I didn't really have a personal relationship with them, but I called them and it was like, I had known them forever because they were so supportive and just saying, oh my goodness, you know, we've heard of other people like you. We have support for you. And Tracy was like, I'll help you find family because actually I called Tracy to kind of help me look for my birth mother but my cousin and aunt gave me the information so she didn't have to do it for me her name Uh, comes up a lot Tracy has helped a lot of people oh she was so supportive and you know and then they told me about the um, you know support groups And so I I went to my first support group and I was kind of like a a wounded puppy. I went in and I was scared to share, but they called on me and it was a small group. It was only about four or five of us. And they said, you know, introduce yourself. And so I went on and told my story. The room became quiet because they're like, oh my God, because mostly everyone in there knew that they were adopted and had known since they were younger. So they weren't, um, it wasn't, you were the only LDA, wasn't a room. I was the only right. LDA. Wow. And so they were very welcoming and very supportive. And there were a lot of things that I still could relate to, but this was still new for me. Mm-hmm. Was that so, this year or last year? That was in 2019. I, I oh, started okay. about two months after I found out. Oh, that was good to connect so quickly. Uh-huh. I went on and got in. Cause, and, and some of my coworkers that knew Betsy, they were like, you need to go on and get in that group mm-hmm. now. And so that really helped me. My husband went with me to a few of the meetings and uh, set in so he could hear and learn how to be supportive also. Oh, so this was that time. Okay, so this was in person. Yes, that okay. one was in person. All right, mm-hmm. got you. Okay. Yes. Thursday night meetings in the winter time, I would do those. That was very convenient for me to do the online one during the winter. When the weather is nice, I'll do the in person. You know, I do the other one when the weather is kind of bad online. Yeah, because I heard that they had Zoom going on 
before the pandemic, Barbara told right. me. Yeah, so you had a choice. That's great. Right. And, you know, it was just good to hear other people's stories and to hear that they're going through the same things that you are. Our stories are different. At the same time, our stories are somewhat the same, mm-hmm. too. I like that. I like the resources and, and just the support that they've given, given me because I don't know if I would have um, survived if I hadn't had that group. Right. And I understand Cynthia would be the first LDA you met through Adoption yes. Network Cleveland. Yes, yes. I mean, Cynthia, oh, she is, she's just, I just love her. Um, <laughs> she's just, you know, she's an awesome woman. And then, you know, we got to talking and and she had family in Chicago. I had a lot of my dad's family lived in Chicago. Actually, my parents met in Chicago and married there. So, you know, then we got the little connection going that way. Mm -hmm. So she's been very supportive um, because she had been on this on this road before me. And so she understood my feelings and could relate to me for sure and cynthia for anyone listening she's in episode seven of this podcast and actually formulated the adoptee sisterhood where deborah and another deborah the four of us have been meeting once a month which i just love that time together but yes cynthia is she's really really awesome yes she is really everyone in the group you know i just love you all you know, the support that you've given me is just invaluable. I agree. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you hadn't taken the DNA test, you probably would still not know you were adopted. Do you think that? Right. Uh, oh, I know I would not. That would have been taken to the grave. That's the sad thing about it, because I would have wanted to tell my parents, thank you. I love them dearly and I still love them dearly. And even thank my birth parents and my mother that felt like she couldn't raise me. I was in a good home. They gave me a lot of great opportunities. I was sheltered a lot, I will say that. And I think they were a little overprotective, but I know I can imagine how they might have felt Uh, bringing a child and and they took it serious that they wanted to make sure I was safe and nothing happened Mm. to me. So I do understand it, but I mean, I just, I love them Mm. and I love my other extended family also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And both your parents, sets of parents are deceased? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, yes. As an LDA, what do you wish to share about what reunion means to you? Like now, all these people, I know you're still unpacking it all. Do you have a sense that, wow, I got so much more family now? What what are your thoughts about reunion? Sometimes I will say I can get a little sad because, you know, they talk about different stories and different things about the grandmother or one of my aunts and even my mother. Sometimes, you know, I kind of hate that I, I miss that. I didn't, didn't have that. But I'm also developing some really good relationships with 
my cousins, not as good, a little shaky, and she's my half-sister. With my brothers on my dad's side, it's four brothers, and I'm the oldest. We're still working on that, but they're very kind to me. And because we grew up as cousins, you know, we already knew each other as cousins, but it's a little awkward. <laughs> okay, so uh, you are related to them. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But you were, yeah, I'm a little confused. Okay, so my dad, my adoptive father's uncle, is their father. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yes, but my dad's uncle was actually two years uh, younger than my dad. Mm -hmm. And they really looked alike. Uh, They were best, kind of like best friends. They went into the military, kind of like just about together. I knew them as like second cousins. I didn't see them a lot, just, you know, like, if I went to a funeral or a wedding or something down south. If, I, if I'm understanding it correctly, your adoptive dad, mm-hmm. you are related to him. Right. We actually, let's see, are cousins. Your adoptive dad. Yes. Wow. And I'm glad you said that because sometimes I try not to even think about it. <laughs> but I mean, but you know, right. um, that's true. That's, we are yeah. cousins. And that's what, you know, even my aunt and I, we discussed, oh, we're cousins. You know, we're really cousins. Mm-hmm. But yes, so my dad is really my cousin. Wow. That's really something. Yes, yes. So it would make you, sense that when, when I think of Miralwing, it would make sense that you would see a part of yourself in him, as you described right. earlier. Yes, right. yes, yes. See, that reminds yes. me of kinship adoption. You know, it just yes. really, it has, yeah, it has that feel to it. Right, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. right. Which and, was really common, you know, in, in the black community. In fact, I remember my dad suggested this is a story I was told that he suggested to my mom well so-and-so down south my dad's from Alabama so-and-so down south has a baby they can't raise well let's just raise their baby and it was a family member right and right and so that was really a common way I know southerners in particular felt that way my mom didn't agree with that though she felt that 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 family member would want their baby back so she didn't want to do that (laughs) which is is very likely but I know a lot of uh, some of my friends, not a lot, but some of my friends who are adopted, they were kinship adoptions. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And like you said, that that went on a lot right. um, in families. Which has a lot of advantages, I think, because you get to still kind of stay with your tribe. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I would just tell LDAs, it's, it's not an easy process you're going to have some days when you're you're up and you'll have some days when you're down. Uh, the best thing is just get support. Get somebody that's in your corner that you can talk to. Join the support groups, adoption network. You can be from wherever and, and be in those support groups. You'll find out that there's people in there that they want to hear your story. They want to support you. 
and they're not going to say, I'm tired of hearing that. Because, right. uh, you know, like my husband, he could support me. But yes, he didn't fully understand it. You know, like a day you may be down or uh, Mother's Day or your birthday or he he didn't understand that and doesn't completely understand. It, and I don't expect him to adoptive people they understand Mm -hmm. and they can relate to you and just take your time and don't let people push you in a corner you know when you're ready to move then move if you're not don't do it Mm -hmm. and just give yourself that grace and that time to do what you feel is good in your heart and just give yourself time well said I know when I share and when others share, I think it's a, a two-way street. We both are healing from it. You can, yes. yeah, the storyteller can heal as well as the listener. Like it, it can happen simultaneously. I agree. Yes, yes, I do too. So uh, in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? Well, I don't think so. I think I've (laughs) said uh, pretty much everything I need to say. You know, I I just thank you again for the opportunity to share my story. I think more LDAs need to get their stories out because Mm -hmm. um, even with the adoption groups, this is a, a group that is getting bigger and bigger every day. Just think when a person opens that 23andMe or Ancestry DNA or whatever DNA test they take, there's a group of people that are going to come out of that every day and find out that they are adopted. Mm-hmm. I think there needs to be more research and even support groups even for that group because, you know, we have little different issues, but at the same time, some of the same issues. So just know that you're not alone. This group is getting bigger and bigger each day. And I think the layer that LDAs have, now you just question everything. You just, yeah, you yes. just, yeah, you don't know who you can trust. Right. Even like Cynthia, when she said, even the people I could, I knew I could trust, I right. didn't trust. Yeah, when you find, when you initially find that out. Yes, that's um, very true. It's like, who do you trust? And because if they lied to me before, when are they when are they telling the truth? Mm-hmm, you know, you yeah. even question all the relationships that you had, you know, and people that were so kind to you, they're really being kind because they they really liked you or they loved you. I'm glad um, you shared that because I, I have looked back and thought, yeah, were they patronizing me? You know, yeah, like I just remember thinking about the kindnesses from so many people because everybody was so kind when I was growing up, like all my extended family. And now you're wondering, not so much where they feeling sorry for me, but yeah, it feels like, okay, where they're like, well, she's adopted, you know, really be nice to her. You know? Yes. Yes. I mean, I thought the uh, same thing here. And that's what I was like, okay, all these people, you know, that were so kind to me. And then someone told me, they said, no, we loved you because we loved you. We just loved you. Yeah. And, you know, we just thought, 
you were you were just so lovable. We loved you. But I think I, it's I a said little I bit of both. To go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could go with that. But I think deep down, we know. Yeah, okay, it's probably a little bit of both. You know. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's okay. Like it is yes. okay. And yes, I know some, it's okay. Right, and something you shared with me. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I remember us talking about how, like, my mom was the same. My adoptive mom was like, don't lie. Don't be a liar. Don't be, like, she was such big on that. And I think as an LDA, if you have a parent that's that way, and you think back, well, what what is this by not telling me? What are you, what are you calling that? Yes. I mean, and that was the thing that uh, stuck out because my mother Oh, she couldn't stand if you lied. Right, to her. right. Oh, I mean that that would take her over the edge, mm-hmm. you know. Mine too. And um, so I really tried not to lie, but of course I did sometimes. Mm-hmm. Me too. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and oh my goodness, she would just have a fit if you if you lied. Mm-hmm. And well, they lied to me. Mm-hmm. They betrayed me. Mm-hmm. How could they, a person that was teaching me to have integrity, don't lie, don't betray, but these are the things that they did to me. Mm-hmm. And, and and it just hurt me because I just could not understand how they could do that. Just how could you look in a person's face every day? And there were so many opportunities when I had my children and just when I got married and mm-hmm. um, just a lot of different opportunities that you could have said, hey, I got something to tell you. Did you think I was going to leave you or I wasn't going to love you anymore? I try to think about what did they think, but I also understand during their time period and coming up and everything, families held secrets forever. And it's just something that they did. People continued to keep secrets. Um, I mean, even with me doing the DNA stuff in my genealogy, I mean, I'm just finding secrets and secrets and secrets. And so that is what a lot of families did. And I, yeah, I agree. And I think LDA, parents of LDAs, particularly the moms I'm thinking of, really wanted this child to be regarded as if they had given birth. And I get that. I mean, I I may not agree, but I understand wanting a child to be your own to the degree that you don't want it to ever be, that child to ever be distinguished as not being biologically related yes and it's kind of like you're in that um kind of like a fantasy world right um I would say but to me I was theirs sometimes I sit back and I go wonder how I really would have taken this I don't know I still think they should have told me no matter what Mm -hmm. and let me work it out like I'm working it out now, I still would have loved them because I'm grateful for what they did, Mm -hmm. you know? I agree. Mm -hmm. Yes. This has been a great conversation, Deborah. Thank you so much for taking the time to have it with me. 
Oh, thank you. I appreciate you and all that you do. You're uh, you're just wonderful. And when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And I think the same of you. And I look forward. I think we're going to be on our adoptee sisterhood next week. So I look forward to seeing you on there. Okay, that sounds good. Have a great one. And okay. thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When Deborah said yes to a conversation with me about her experience as an LDA, I was over the moon for her. It is no small task to be public with your adoption story, especially when you have lived decades into adulthood, being lied to or deceived by people you trust. She sees the opportunity to further grow and heal by owning her story. I like how despite seeing unfamiliar names on Ancestry concerning DNA matches, she pressed forward and asked the difficult questions. With each bit of news about her beginnings, Deborah was determined to sit in the pain and ultimately move through it in hopes of getting on the other side to become a better integrated person. It's a big deal to wonder, who am I really? Thank you, Deborah, for taking the time to have a conversation with me. I have no doubt that as you continue staying connected to the adoption community, taking breaks as you need them, or doing anything else that serves your well-being, you will be stronger each day. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review, subscribe, give a rating, tell a friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. Hashtag AdopteeLand.